On today's show, the latest around the Atlanta Hawks with regard to the news and also a summer league victory in narrow fashion over the Minnesota Timberwolves out in Las Vegas. We'll get into all of that and more on the way. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1520 of the Lofton Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday evening here in Las Vegas. It is mid-July. The Hawks are out here for Summer League, and we thank you for joining us on the podcast, as always, and making us your first listen each and every day. Check us out and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts, places like Apple, Spotify, YouTube, etc. And we'll dive in to Hawks Wolves in a moment. We'll start, we'll start the show with sort of the latest news and notes. Nothing huge. I'll say that at the top of the podcast, nothing massive, no huge news, no emergency podcasts in between yesterday and today. Uh, if you missed it, I did a news catch-up episode of sorts, some mailbag questions on yesterday's podcast in the middle of Las Vegas and all that fun stuff. But um, kind of just some stuff to add to that for the most part. For one thing, on Wednesday, the Hawks announced formally the Patty Mills trade to acquire him from the Oklahoma City Thunder. That, of course, is as it, as it was previously reported. Usman Garuba, Tata Washington, Rudy Gay, and a future second-round pick going to Oklahoma City. Uh, OKC, in its release, actually indicated it's a 2026 second-round pick. The Hawks have not confirmed that, but obviously you have to trust what the team announces. The Hawks have a couple of 2026 seconds after their transactions this summer. So it's unclear which one that is, but I'll keep an eye on that. If I can find out, I will let everybody know. One thing, though, that I had not previously talked about, but did some research on, talked to some people, read the CBA, is that Patty Mills cannot actually be aggregated with other people in a trade for 60 days after this trade was announced, which happens today. So that, that takes you all the way to mid-September. Um, I will do the short version and not the super nerdy version, but the only reason it looked like that Rudy Gay was able to be traded in this fashion is because OKC had cap space. So technically, he was not aggregated into the Mills trade. It was it was Gay for Mills, straight up, and then the Thunder took basically Garuba and Washington into space. Now, with the way that Mills was acquired by the Hawks, he cannot be put together with other people to make salaries kind of commensurate to trade for, for instance, Pascal Siakam because of rules, basically. I won't, I won't, go, won't go into all of that because he was not traded into cap space. Um, he cannot be flipped other than by himself. The Hawks can still trade him, but it has to be basically just him going out uh, one for one, not what, what you say, for example, alongside DeAndre Hunter in a, in a Pascal Siakam trade. Again, that's only 60 days. They could wait. They could agree to something before that and then do it in September. But for now, he cannot be aggregated. That's one of those nerdy CBA things. But speaking of Siakam, I will, again, say I talked about him yesterday extensively on this podcast. I've done probably three episodes now that we've partially been dedicated to Pascal Siakam and the Hawks' rumors around him. If anything breaks, I will be certainly talking about this even more. But a couple of national mentions of some Hawks stuff. Zach Lowe and Kevin Pelton did a podcast earlier this week. I believe it was on Tuesday into Wednesday that basically talked about how Zach said that the Hawks are the team that's most often mentioned behind the scenes for Siakam. I can confirm that based on conversations around Summer League in the last few days. Uh, he did throw out the fact that he, is not, he does not believe, actually, that the Pacers buzz is as serious as some people do. Uh, he threw out Miami as a hypothetical if they were not to get Damian Lillard. But basically, Lowe's message was that there is so much smoke, I'm quoting him now, there's got to be fire, basically, in this scenario with regard to Siakam being available. I've heard the same. Uh, he, did, he did also back up the fact that I've been saying for a while now, DeAndre Hunter almost has to be, not 100%, but certainly 95-plus percent, would have to be in a deal for Siakam if it were to happen. I had someone ask me yesterday, actually, why I didn't mention Bogdanovich. 
in the possibilities that I discussed a lot on, on the last show on yesterday's podcast. One reason is that I wasn't trying to do all of the scenarios, but also the other one is that he cannot be traded at, at all until September 16th. Now, there are scenarios where a team, a team could agree to a deal to trade Bogdanovich and then just not announce it. And for that's a long time. That's two months. So I think Bogey is still functionally untradeable and actually is untradeable uh, officially for more than two more months. So that's why he's not coming up in this in this kind of stuff as a matching salary. He did just sign that extension, so we'll see on all of that stuff. But um, that's why I'm not bringing him up sort of even more as a matching salary proponent. I think still, as I said yesterday on the podcast, but everybody missed this podcast, I said, in short, I believe that if, if a deal happens, again, if a deal were to happen, it would probably be, in my mind, at least the most logical construction would be a three-team deal with Hunter and Capella plus a little bit more going out, Capella getting rerouted to somewhere else, and then uh, basically Toronto getting Hunter and whatever else. So anyway, also another, another reminder on the Bogdanovich front, on the Patty Mills front, all that, Kobe Bufkin is not eligible to be traded for a month after he signed. So that's still like four weeks away, three and a half, four weeks away. So keep that in mind too. He's not functionally eligible to be traded until about a month from now. Uh, Michael Grange, who covers the Raptors up in Toronto, wrote earlier this week that the Hawks remain a possibility. He threw out Indiana. He threw out Orlando as a team that bears watching. And then Jake Fisher of Yahoo, who's been on this podcast only a couple weeks ago, actually, national newsbreaker extraordinaire. He backed up what's been out there about Siakam as well, about him not wanting to extend really anywhere else other than in Toronto. I'm going to read what Jake wrote, actually word for word. Quote, he has left rival teams with the impression he only intends to sign the extension. He's eligible to receive his offseason if he remains with Toronto. One more time on this front. Uh, Mark Stein was the most strong on his podcast talking about like he, there are rumblings that he does not want to sign in Atlanta in particular. Um, I'm not sure about that, but it's been passed along by a, credible, by a credible source. But it is definitely all the way out there that Siakam does not want to extend anywhere else. So again, as I said a number of times on this podcast, that makes it hard. It doesn't make it impossible to trade for him, but it does make it to where the Hawks need to kind of draw their line in the sand and not overpay. Because if you're only even taking on the risk of a potential of one season for Pascal Siakam, you can't trade the farm for him. That's just too much. It's just too risky for where the Hawks currently are. And uh, that's kind of where I'll leave it for now on that front. But anyway, that's the latest on the news front with Patty Mills, Pascal Siakam, et cetera. If we have more, I will get into that later on this week. The Hawks do play again tomorrow. So I have a podcast after that game as well. But uh, I'll leave that there for now. And the rest of the show will be dedicated to today's summer league game between the Hawks and the Wolves out here in Las Vegas. I was in the building for that one. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Bird Dogs is fantastic, bringing fit, comfort, and versatility to the table with their products. I feel great and comfortable in my own skin when wearing Bird Dogs gear. And Bird Dogs stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg to give you the sculpted look that you're looking for. They fit much better than regular shorts that happen to be made of that stiff, restricting cotton. And with Bird Dogs, they fix the issue by inventing their cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki but also happens to stretch, giving you the slimmer fit without having to sacrifice anything else with regard to your movements. They also use anti-sweat wicking fabric to keep you cool and dry all day long. And in the end, Bird Dogs makes awesome products. You're going to want to check out all of the, what they have to offer by going to birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA. When you get there, enter the promo code LockedOnNBA. And if you use that code, they will throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti-style tumbler with each and every order. One more time, check out birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA. All right, to Summer League. And as I reported actually a little bit ago, um, it was kind of out there that A.J. Griffin said to the media that he was probably going to play, quote, roughly two games in Las Vegas. But the Hawks did not confirm that after the game on Sunday. But I reported, actually it was the first one to report, on Wednesday in the middle of the day that A.J. Griffin is now officially done for the week. He was at the game in a polo shirt. He is not uh, leaving Las Vegas, to my knowledge, but he's not playing for the rest of the week. Again, that's not a 
su- surprise at all. He is not injured. Nothing's going on there. This was the plan all along. And uh, just wanted to at least leave with that because it was kind of a newsy thing, but not, again, not a surprise at all. And very, by, by the way, very typical. I know AJ was not like incredibly good in summer league, but for a guy who played a lot of minutes this last year, um, a lot of second year guys who return as first round picks who play well during the record seasons, they might come play a game or two in Las Vegas and then get shut down. It would be more of a surprise if he played the whole week, as I've been saying for the last couple of weeks. So he's not playing anymore, and that left the Hawks down a guy for today's game. Broadly speaking, the Hawks, of course, I, I'll always say this, the results don't matter all that much, but a 99-93 win over the Wolves, kind of go through the game flow, and at the end of the podcast, I will have some audio and some player breakdown stuff from the folks that I talked to after today's game. Um, first, though, the first half, was kind of ugly in the very, very beginning. And then the Hawks played really well for the majority, not the entire game, but the, the majority of the game. They were down nine to two. Missed five of their first six shots. Um, Mo Gay had an air ball at one point. Bufkin and Krejci both missed shots in the early going. A couple defensive breakdowns. I thought Bufkin had his best quarter in the first, though. Had a nice under-control floater in the first possession of the game. Had shown his craft a few different times with multiple fakes. Not getting sped up. Another one nice one off the glass. He actually had seven of the first 11 points for the Hawks in this game. He definitely slowed down after that, but was good at the outset. Um, elsewhere, rotationally, by the way, uh, was, it was Vic Krejci starting in place of Griffin, who is now out again. And then Krejci basically handled the ball a lot when Bufkin was off the floor. No surprise there. Um, they actually went deeper into the bench in this game. Tyson Etienne appeared for the first time. Also did Uroš Plavčić at backup center and David Singleton for a little bit of time at the two-guard spot. So they actually played 10 guys in the first you know 12 minutes of this game, despite being down AJ Griffin. So they went a little bit deeper into the bench, as is normal in Summer League. Seth Lundy got hot in this one. He had a couple of threes, I believe, back-to-back in the first quarter. He had another one later on in the first half. He was a big volume shooter at Penn State. We'll come back to that later on in the podcast as well. But he was making an, an sort of imprint offensively as a shooter in that first quarter. The Hawks did have that bad start, but they ended up shooting pretty well the rest of the first quarter. Um, nine turnovers in the first 13 minutes was kind of a problem. There was one bad pick six from Lundy that led to a dunk for the Wolves. But some nice moments of pace in the second quarter, I thought. Mogan had a nice block that led to transition. Krejci had a couple of really good passes, like drive and kick passes in this one. He continues to play well as sort of a, a, a ball mover in their offense. And the Hawks were up by 10 at halftime. Four threes for Lundy. The Hawks had eight as a team. Four guys had seven points or more in the first half. So it was pretty good vibes there. Then, though, the third quarter was uh, the rough spot for the Hawks in this game. They were up 12 or f- I believe 14 points, actually, mid-quarter in the third. And then a couple of really bad breakdowns. They started settling on offense. Um, really taking some bad contested jump shots, which is something that the coaching staff passed along after the game as well. Uh, Gay and Bufkin had air, actually had both had air balls in that stretch, and the double-digit lead went away entirely in about five and a half, six minutes of, of playing time. They gave up 29 points in the third quarter. A lot of that was, was transition. It wasn't with the defense that was the problem. It was the offense for the most part. They got down as many as six points, and overall, it was a 34-14 to 14 run by the Wolves. So the Hawks were playing very poorly for about a full quarter between like the middle of the third and the middle of the fourth. Then, though, the Hawks woke up, ended up closing out the game very nicely. Tyrese Martin was, was sort of the headliner of that. He had a great driving finish with his left hand through contact for three-point play. Had another one that was a nice finish about a minute later. Hit a three down the stretch. Um, Martin uh, was really kind of in control of the offense down the stretch, which was good to see from him. The Hawks were up five, and then the Wolves actually made back-to-back threes to make it really interesting. But then Calvin Gelly had a huge play on a loose ball to grab the rebound and draw a uh, loose ball foul. And uh, that was really, really impressive. And it got to the line, kind of put the game away. In a lot of ways. So I went to the entire play by play for you, but some nice moments from the Hawks down the stretch. They were encouraging after a real swoon in the third in the early portion of the fourth quarters. The numbers were not perfect for the Hawks. They played fast in this one. 
11 to 33 from three is fine. Took a lot of threes. Again, I believe all three games have taken at least 33 threes. That's actually a good thing in my mind, getting uh, getting those deep, those deep attempts up and pretty good efficiency on those overall. That's on the line 33 times. That's actually very impressive. Also 15 off the rebounds. So they turned the ball over a lot, but they created extra possessions, ended up taking um, a bunch more shot, like sort of shooting possessions than the Wolves did because of their free throw attempts and offensive rebounds. So that's good to see overall. Um, 19 turnovers is a lot, obviously, but I'll kind of leave it there for now. I'll just say the Hawks did as a team play pretty well, I thought, in this spot. Uh, we'll get into the individual player breakdowns in a moment with regard to how, how everybody played that participated in this game. Also, some audio that I grabbed on today's um, sort of post-game press conferences, one-on-ones, etc. Before we get to that, though, it worth more sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by BetterHelp. It's very easy to become everything that everyone actually needs from you and never get actually taking a moment to think about what you need from yourself. I'm guilty of this as well, juggling a lot of different work and family commitments. And when we spend all of your time giving, it could leave us sometimes stretched pretty thin or even burned out. Therapy can give you the tools that you're looking for to find more balance in your life. And part of that is being able to support other people without leaving yourself behind. Therapy is exceptionally helpful when it comes to learning coping skills, setting boundaries. It also helps you to be the best version of yourself. If you thought about starting therapy before, I recommend giving BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is actually fill out a brief questionnaire. They'll actually match you with a licensed therapist. If you want to change therapist at any point, you can do so with absolutely no charge. Find more balance in your life with BetterHelp today. Go to betterhelp.com slash locked on MBA. Get 10% off your first month with BetterHelp. That is betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash locked on MBA. All right, we'll dive into the player evaluations in this one. Again, the Hawks played 10 guys. The Stars play heavy minutes. In fact, Bucket played 33 minutes. That's the most that anyone's played so far in Las Vegas for the Hawks. We'll start with the bench. Um, the first guy, the guys who played for the first time, Plavchic, Etienne, and Singleton. Singleton played the fewest minutes, eight minutes. He was kind of just out there. Uh, he's known as a shooter, only actually only took one two-point attempt in this game. Kind of a quiet performance from him. Etienne is a fan favorite from last time in Summer League. Last year, we had one big half that kind of got, got a lot of attention. He was kind of a non-factor as well. Did make a three. Um, had a turnover. Had one assist, three points in 11 minutes. I thought Plavchic was actually pretty good. Um, former uh, former standout college player in some in some respects, but seven points, two rebounds, uh, hit a three, showing his pickup ability. He was a backup center in this game. There was no Brady Manick in this one after he played a lot in the first two games. No Jarko Joyner either. And he actually had played the first two games as well. But uh, nothing like jumping off the page too much from those guys. Seth Lundy, 14 points in 17 minutes, uh, five rebounds for Lundy. The big thing, though, took eight threes, made four of them, did free turnovers, was definitely a little bit trigger-happy, which is fine. They want him to hunt shots. He took 10 in 17 minutes overall, including eight threes. And I should talk to Seth after the game. So I'm going to play you some audio here. I reported this after the game, kind of tweeted about it, but he talked about how he wants to get with Kyle Korver. And uh, this is the way he framed that when I asked him basically about his plans and what he's looking for for this week as well as the entire summer. What are you trying to work on individually here? Obviously, you have big picture goals, like you're talking to coaches and stuff. What's your kind of focus individually for this week and beyond the summer? For this week and the summer, uh, I mean, I would just say my, my goal, honestly, for this week, you know, just obviously keep doing what I'm doing, making shots and uh, getting stops and, uh, you know, help my team win. Uh, I feel like, you know, we go out there, I think we got to win. We got to win by a decent amount to be able to, uh, win, to go to the championship. And then, um, you know, I, I feel like we can really win. And then, you know, after that, if we do win, go back to go back to Atlanta in the summer and just rework on my game. Uh, I'm putting together a plan with uh, Kyle Corver, and like we we really gonna work on you know a, a lot of stuff with my footwork, uh, you know just how I catch the ball, like my hips, everything. And uh, I feel like that's really gonna take my game to the next level. 
we talked about Kyle. Obviously, that's a guy who played not exactly like you, but played a lot like you. Played that position in the league. What's it like to have that guy close to you in the front office that you can kind of have that yeah. guy work with, work with? I couldn't be more happy to have him in my corner. Uh, that's man. He shot forty two point eight percent for his career, <laughs> which is crazy. I don't, people don't realize how crazy that is yeah. to shoot over forty two from for your career. So to have him in my corner, to have him, you know, be teaching me uh, new things and stuff like that. I feel like that's really going to take my game to the next level. So, yeah, it's always interesting to hear about, like, Kyle Korver being kind of that, that much of a hands-on guy. He's not a coach. He's in the, G- he's in the assistant GM chair. But uh, they've been pretty open about that. He's kind of uh, definitely prides himself on being somebody who can kind of work with him. Lundy being not a full-on specialist, but someone that Korver can obviously mold as a primary shooter on the wing. So that's a pretty interesting comparison. I thought it was uh, sort of eyebrow-raising in a good way. That he'll be working with Korver the rest of the summer. Miles um, Norris played 11 minutes. Thought he played fine. Two rebounds, sorry, two assists, four rebounds, had seven points, three of five from the floor, and one of three from three. Mo Gay, um, up and down, I would say. Um, still had a couple flashes like he has the last couple of games, but two of eight from the floor, 0-2 from three. Got to the line seven times, though. Had one really good kind of like fading jump shot um, that was uh, kind of made the highlight rounds, but he was not very efficient beyond that, although the free throws were very nice to see. Then had two blocks and a steal. Um, like it was the first two games, really, like lots of high highs, some low lows defensively, some breakdowns, but um, a lot to be encouraged by just as far as his tools and what his upside looks like for Mogay so far in Summer League. Um, Fiannu Cabangeli, I thought was pretty good. 13, 13 points, I should say, five rebounds, two blocks and a steal. Um, I think he's an NBA player in a lot of ways, but I think the one thing that you're looking for with Cabangeli is that he's not a huge rim protector. That always hurts. There's kind of limited size there on the back end, but he had two blocks. He was definitely scrapping, and I mentioned before, a huge rebound to kind of seal the game at the very end. Uh, v. Krejci, I thought was very good in this game, despite only having six points. So he took six shots, two of six, six assists, six rebounds. He just makes the right play. He was a game best plus 19. That actually made sense to me watching the game live. Veet's not going to like make huge highlights, but he is a very, very good functional, unselfish passer. He just moves the ball very well, and I think he looks like an NBA player on the floor this week. Uh, and then we'll end with Kobe Bufkin and Tyrese Martin. So we'll go with Bufkin first. He did not play as well, obviously, as Martin did in this game. Bufkin had 13 points, six rebounds, an assist, a steal, and a block. Had five turnovers. He was actually dead even in the plus-minus, but was um, actually, I believe, three of ten on twos, oh, three on threes. That's the line nine times. That's actually a good uh, thing for him. Made seven of those nine. And he's an 83% free throw shooter at the college level, so that's a pretty good spot to get to the line a lot for him. Again, not very efficient, but uh, I don't worry much. There seems to be like some weird panic about Bufkin. I would not worry about him at all. He's a 19-year-old guard being asked to do things that he's not been able to really do in the past. So I want to play you one bit of the postgamer with uh, Antonio Lang, the head coach for Summer League and assistant coach under Quinn Snyder, about Bufkin, kind of just how the team is framing this at this point in time around Bufkin. So here's what he had to say about Bufkin today. It's just like anything else. Like when you learn how to walk or you learn how to run, you fall. But you don't stop trying. He's going to fall. Sometimes he's going to get up, he's going to sprint. But at some point in time, he's going to figure it out. So games like this is really good. That's what Summer League's for. This is the first time we asked him to play a point guard. He's been doing an unbelievable job. I've been asking him. We've been asking him as a group to run the team. And that's really hard. Tonight, the players around him picked him up. And I think the next game, he's going to make the adjustments and hopefully we'll be better. So, yeah, no, no reason to panic whatsoever, but I wanted to pass that along to you all because it came from the mouth of the head coach for Summer League, Antonio Lang. And then finally, some upbeat stuff about Tyrese Martin. Tyrese Martin um, is playing very well the last couple games in particular he was not great in the first game but he's pretty good in number two and then very good today um was the was kind of the guy down the stretch of today's game which was probably a lot, a lot of the sort of head turning plays there uh, a couple of big buckets on the stretch to actually win this game um 25 points on 15 shot attempts nine rebounds three assists 
Um, I wanted to play some uh, actually a back and forth that I, I kind of, you know, it was basically about this is Lang's voice talking about Martin, but he was talking about how like what they're looking for from him as well as how he played today. So here is Lang on Martin's performance today. It seemed like Tyrese made a lot of winning plays down the stretch. Yeah. What did you see from him? Reese has been in the gym ever since I've been here. It's been six weeks. He hadn't missed a day. It's paying off. It's a testament to Reese. It's a testament to our guys that um, that we put together as a coaching staff and Coach Snyder put together, who, uh, who um, Mr. Fields and, and, and Mr. Corpo put together. And he's just been sticking to it in there every day. And I think his preparation before this had him ready to be successful and ready to do the things he's been able to do out on the court. What kind of stuff are you looking for for him in particular? Well, the thing about it, he can do a lot of things. He can play pick and roll, he can play off the ball, and he can shoot the ball. Yeah. So the thing is, just make a read, just play. The game should be free-flowing. The times we had trouble was when the ball stopped. Yeah. But once we kept our dribble, we got our eyes out. He's a great go-and-catch player. Just be as versatile as you possibly can be. And I think that's that's Reese's strength, versatility, both offensively and defensively. So it's kind of like the Swiss Army knife, you know. He's, he's whatever we need, like the night we need him to score. The other night we need him to make a shot. One night we may need him to get a stop. And that's what makes him really good. So everyone's always been asking about, like, you know, Krejci versus Martin if it's one spot. I don't know that it is one spot. Obviously, there only is one spot right now with no other moves, but they're both on non-guaranteed contracts. I thought both guys played well today in very different ways. They were different players. Martin, much more of a scorer, uh, whereas Krejci's more of a facilitator, passer type. Krejci is, um, you know, obviously a little bit more rangy, whereas Martin is probably stronger. Different strengths, all weaknesses, obviously. I saw some very funny texts about like how Martin should be playing this year. I wouldn't go that far. He was not particularly impressive last season, but I thought he was very good today. He definitely made a lot of plays for them and a good upbeat night for him on, so I guess, afternoon for him on the whole and a nice way to kind of finish off the first trio of games in Las Vegas. All right. That's all I have for today's podcast. I'll leave it there for now. Again, as a reminder, the Hawks play again on Thursday. It's another afternoon game, 3.30 Eastern time, 12.30 local where I am in Las Vegas against the Sixers. That is the final game that is already scheduled for the Hawks. Now, they will, they will have one more after that. If you missed this before, the first four games are scheduled. Then they have the kind of mini tournament at the end. So the Hawks will play uh, at least one more game, maybe even two more if they were to win out. But um, yeah, either Saturday or Sunday will be the fifth game on the schedule. We won't know. We actually won't know when that is, or who they're playing, or what time, any of that stuff until after the games on Friday, because Friday is another full slate of kind of regular season, quote unquote, action. So hold on tight. I will have that tweeted out after the games on Friday, whatever we know. But we but we do know Thursday, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time, NBA TV against Philadelphia, and I'll have full coverage from Las Vegas as I am still on the ground in the desert. Thank you for listening, everybody. I really do appreciate everybody checking out the podcast today. Please follow us on Twitter, at Lots on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter, at BT Roland. Follow my written work, patreon.com slash BT Roland. And please subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcast. Auto-download. Subscribe more than once if you enjoy the podcast, Apple, Spotify. And we're also on YouTube for every single episode. Thank you for joining us on the podcast, everybody. I really do appreciate it, and we'll see you all next time.